Lord, we first thank you for being with us this morning. Your presence is always with us. We thank you, Lord, for the grace of another Lord's Day worship. We thank you, Lord, for the encouragements that we receive from the saints, from each other, in fellowship with one another. We thank you, Lord, for the faithful who gather here uh, every Sunday uh, to worship with your people, to worship with one another, our risen Christ. Lord, we thank you for the encouragement that you even bring me when we come and worship together. We just thank you, Lord, that you care about your people. You care about the gathering of the saints, the gathering of the church. Lord, let us continue to love and serve one another as church members, especially in the midst of what is going on in this world, particularly in our nation, that we continue as believers to pray for one another, to love one another, to encourage one another as we see the day of Christ approaching. Every day that we live, Lord, is a day closer to the day that you are coming back. And Lord, as I was speaking earlier, thinking about this responsive reading that we read just a few minutes ago, the psalmist asked, why do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Lord, sometimes we can feel that way when we're enduring the trials and tribulations of this life. You can seem so far away. You can seem so distant. We look at the wicked. We look at those who don't follow you. And they seem to prosper. They seem to be getting along just fine. They seem to have no problems or no cares in this world. Lord, your word tells us in arrogance, the wicked are arrogant. They boast the desires of their soul. They renounce you. In pride, the wicked does not seek you, Lord. All their thoughts are theirs, no God. So, Lord, although they, they look to be prospering, although we, we see their social media posts and they're always smiling and always happy and always jovial and always in a good mood, and, and, and we can see that, Lord, and look at the struggles that we have in our life, not realizing, Lord, that they have thoughts too. And their thoughts are not good. Their thoughts toward you are not good. In their hearts and in their thinking, they think there is no God. They do not seek you. Their ways may seem to prosper. Your judgments are out of their sight. They say in their hearts they should not be moved, that they will not meet adversity. But Lord, we know you all too well. We know, Lord, that though they say that that you have forgotten, that you have hidden your face, that you will never see it. Lord, we know that you see all. Lord, we know that you will call the wicked to account. We know, Lord, that one day they will stand before you to give an account for their life. And every mouth will be shut as you render your verdict. Depart from me. I never knew you you worker of iniquity. So Father, we have no reason to envy those who are wicked and seem to be prospering. We have no cause to be jealous or we have no cause to covet their life or covet their lifestyle or, 
or covet their spouse or covet their children, covet their jobs. We have no cause to do that, Lord. Because they're not going to enjoy that. They're going to be judged for that. And also, Lord, this world is the best that it gets for them. So, Lord, let us look to you and not to man. Let us look to you and not compare ourselves to other people. To compare ourselves to other image bearers. To compare ourselves to other people who are flesh just like we are. Lord, your word tells us that all flesh is as grass. All flesh is as brittle, as easily cut down as grass is. We have no reason to boast in the flesh, Lord, because we are literally transient. We are here today and gone tomorrow to be remembered no more. Lord, help us to always keep a sober assessment of that. And let that lead us to a life of worship of you, not worshiping the self, not worshiping materialism and materialistic things, but Lord, worshiping you as the one true God. And Lord, as I pray this morning, I pray for our pastors that are taking a stand against the insanity that is taking place in our culture. I pray, Lord, that you continue to strengthen the solid pastors who are leading their churches well and faithfully. Pastors like Steve Mays at Hope Presbyterian and Brothers Gobbleje and Josephus in Liberia and Brother Sylvester in uh, Zimbabwe and Brother Josh Henderson in Talladega at Southside Baptist and um, Phil and Anthony and, and Carlton and, and Bob and Brother Curley and Brother Cody uh, Hale and um, Lord, all the all the faithful men, brother Justin Holland up at Mountain View. All these brothers, Lord, who are faithfully preaching, faithfully proclaiming your truth, faithfully standing on your truth, Lord, that you continue to strengthen these brethren and others to stand for your truth in the midst of a culture that is willing to believe the lies. Help us, Lord, continue to shepherd the flock well. Help our members also to hold forth to these truths, too. And, Lord, I pray for this message this morning, that you help me as we preach about being brought near by the blood of Christ, that we were afar off, Lord, but we were outside of Christ. We were strangers to you. But, Lord, you brought us near to God the Father through your shed blood. Lord, fill me with your spirit to preach this text well, to teach it well to your glory. And send your spirit, Lord, to illuminate the truths that we will hear this morning. May you be pleased by what I preach. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Amen. Let's turn to uh, Ephesians 2. We're looking at verses 11. This is the second section of the second chapter. And it has three parts to it. We're going to look at it uh, in three parts. Uh, we're going to look at verses 11 through 13. This is on the heels of being saved by grace through faith.
the primary theme of this section is being one in Christ, being one in Christ. So actually, I'm going to read uh, verses 11 through 18. Because that's what we're going to be preaching on. Actually, 11 through uh, 22. Uh, this week, I'm going to do 11 through 13. Next week, I'll do verses 14 through 18. And then uh, the first Sunday in uh, July. I'm sorry, the fourth Sunday of this month. Uh, I'll be doing verses 19 through 22. So we're going to read 11 through 22 just to get a full context and go back and deal with the passage uh, for the day. Therefore, okay, therefore means on the heels of what he just said about being saved by grace through faith and being God's uh, workmanship created in Christ for uh, good works. You know, God being rich in mercy, you know, bringing us uh, from spiritual death to making us alive in him. So that's what the therefore having considered all of these truths. So when you see the word therefore, that's what you need to have in mind. So considering all that we just read uh, from verses one through ten. Remember. So Paul wants us to remember something. What does he want us to remember? That you, you remember the saints, the Ephesians. The Ephesians were Gentiles. They were not Jewish. They were uh, Gentiles. They were non-Jews. And we'll explain this in a second. Remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. That at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, that's the key preposition in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he, Christ himself, is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Enmity means hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off, Gentiles, and those who were near, Jews. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, since you are all one, since you're all together, that Jews and Gentiles are now in one spiritual family, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Amen. I love that passage. So you see how that plays out. This, this passage is, is speaking about being one in Christ primarily 
in this context Jews and Gentiles because in biblical terms we're Gentiles because we're not uh, we're not Jewish by by blood or by birth so um, in this context it was more important because that's how it actually was so uh, the, the big idea that we're going to look at we're going to look at the big idea and two principles is that we as Gentiles are now in Christ we're no longer far off as strangers from Christ okay we're made near to the blessings of Christ because the Jews had the blessings of, uh, uh, at first but Christ made them available to us and they were accomplished by a sacrificial death on the cross the cross tore down that wall of division between Jew and Gentile and that's what we're going to be talking about the next three weeks so just looking at these verses here as just as a way of introduction uh, Paul wanted them to remember but the first thing is that there are several aspects of this passage that uh, are first presented in, in verses 1 uh, through 10 now the biggest and most obvious one is the contrast between what the Ephesians were and what they now are in verses 1 through 10 uh, Paul told the Ephesians that they were in verse 1 dead in their trespasses and sins that's in Ephesians 2 and 1 and then next Paul tells them that they were made alive okay so they were dead and then they became alive and each one of these passages verses 1 through 10 and then verses 11 through 13 as we're looking at they reflect the salvation that God has brought into the lives of the Ephesian believers that's what is reflected here it is something that God did it is not something that they accomplish there are two different perspectives but they show that it is God who does all these things it is God who is the great unifier it is God who is the great reconciler and Paul wanted the Ephesians to know this and so now in these verses that we're looking at for the next three weeks Paul is reflecting on the Ephesians salvation in terms of their relationship to Israel or to the Jews and so he's going to show that connection so this passage here Paul talks about the relationship between Jews and Gentiles in Christ not Jews and Gentiles in general and Paul also dealt with this in both Romans and the book of Galatians because Paul had that concern in Galatians as we preached through before we went through this book that you had the Judaizers who were telling Gentiles that they had to be circumcised you know so Paul dealt with the same issue in the Galatian church so obviously there was a tension in this day between the non-Jews and the Jews between the, the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians so what Paul sought to do was with the Spirit's help to break down that division between them and that is what he begins by doing this in this passage he talked about past and present so again the first 10 verses dealt with salvation in general and now he turns to the work of Christ for Gentiles in particular and we have to go back into biblical history to think about this because the Jews first became a nation in Genesis the 12th chapter uh, when God called Abraham uh, Abram at that time out of Ur of the Chaldeans Abraham was 75 years old he was a very uh, wealthy man he had a lot of livestock he had a lot of servants and let's look at that passage right quick just as a 
a foundation as we get down to the context of this passage. Turn to Genesis. Turn with me to Genesis, the 12th chapter. And this was the first covenant that God made with Abram. Thousands of years before this text that we're looking at today in Ephesians. So God had called Abram to be a source of blessing for the rest of humanity. So it says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you, excuse me, and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and I will curse those who dishonor you and in all and in you rather all the families of the earth will be blessed that was God's covenant promise to Abram the first nation that came out of Abram was the Hebrew nation Abram had a son he had two sons uh, one was Ishmael by Hagar uh, his wife's uh, handmaiden slave uh, that was Ishmael. And then you had Isaac, who came from Sarah. Isaac was the son of promise. And out of Isaac, we had Jacob and Esau. And, of course, Esau sold his birthright to Jacob. So Jacob was the one who received the covenant blessing from Isaac, who was old and blind. And, uh, you know, the story, if you read it, Jacob put on the, 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 the animal skin to to make his skin rough like his brother Esau's uh, because uh, Isaac had gotten old and couldn't see that good. So he basically tricked and deceived his father into giving him the covenant blessing that was reserved for Esau. And then Jacob had 12 sons. These were the children of Israel. These were the 12 patriarchs. And that is how the Jewish nation, the Hebrew nation started from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, to the 12 sons, and all of their progenitors, all of their children, all of their descendants. This is how Israel became a nation of people. So Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation. He's the father of the Hebrew nation. Jewish Hebrew uh, use those terms interchangeably. And so from that point all the way through Old Testament history, uh, we've been studying in the book of Deuteronomy how God had called Israel to be his covenant people. It wasn't because of anything that Israel had done. God has set his love upon them because he loved them. And these people became his chosen people. But God did through Israel promise a seed. And that was going to be Christ. Okay. And we read in the New Testament where the Bible says that uh, Christ came to his own and his own was the Jewish nation. This is found in John, uh, the first chapter, that he came to his own and his own received him not. Turn to John, the first chapter. We're tying all this together as we get into our introduction of this passage. So it's a good little Bible study right here. So we turn to the Gospel of John. 
we will see where all this ties in. So look at the very first chapter of John's gospel. Okay, I'm going to read from the ESV. This is what it says. Look at that verse 9. And the, the true light is speaking of Christ. It says, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people, the Jews, did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, all is including Jew and who? Gentile. Jews and non-Jews. To all who receive. Receive means to uh, receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Who believed in his name. He gave them right to become children of God. Because who were the children of God at first? Israel only. But Israel rejected Christ. So salvation went also to who? Gentiles. That means that to all who received him. Jew and Gentile all who believed in his name Jew and Gentile to them not just Jews only but to them Jew and Gentile who believed in his name he gave them a right to what be called or become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor the will of man but of God So we see throughout redemptive history that it was God's plan to save Gentiles. It wasn't like a, oh, God just came up with this all of a sudden. No, it was part of God's redemptive plan to have all of humanity to be saved who come to Christ, not just for the Jews. Now, the Jews had the covenant blessings at first. We read all those in Deuteronomy 28. 29 all the the blessings and curses that was for Israel at that time under the old covenant but the new covenant was was spoken of in Ezekiel uh, and also in Jeremiah where God was going to put a new spirit in our hearts so that we can obey him because man could not obey the law by himself and on his own power so God was going to give man the Holy Spirit and we saw that fulfilled in the book of Acts the second chapter so salvation was for Israel at first and then for all of us. But it was always God's plan to include the Gentiles. And that was fulfilled when Christ came. So here in our passage this morning, we see Paul making the point to the Ephesians that you are just as much in Christ as Jews are. So he says here in the beginning, we're going to look at two principles this morning. Uh, one is, is with uh, verses uh, 11 and 12, then the other one with verse uh, 13. So the first principle is the need for reconciliation. So let's look at verses 11 and 12 again. Therefore, remember... 
that w at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made by in the flesh by hands remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world I hesitate to get ahead of myself but Paul tells them to remember this like in the ver uh, first verses of this chapter they were dead in their trespassing sins that was a way for them to remember their spiritual death and the fact that God made them alive now he's telling them to remember that they once at one time they were Gentiles in the flesh now God's work is not only between himself and the individual it, it begins there but it is also between groups of people that are at odds with each other and in this case it is Jews and Gentiles in the days of Paul and why was that so because Gentiles were called uncircumcision and I'll just tell you being called uncircumcision was not a compliment for Jews to call Gentiles uncircumcision was in essence a pejorative it, it was a it was an insult to be called of the circumcision so Paul is letting them know how deep the hostility was between the Jews of his day and how they looked at Gentiles how they looked at non-Jews how they looked at those who were not uh, of the covenant promise the mark of Gentile Christians is not circumcision but uncircumcision not being circumcised that was the mark of Gentiles that's what distinguished them from the Jews and of course the Jews would make them feel bad about not being circumcised that they were not truly or really Christians so to speak so they were giving them that pejorative he says who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in flesh by hand so Paul is making a point here sarcastically that there was nothing inherently spiritual about their circumcision it was done by man it was done by man's hands that it was not necessarily more superior to being uncircumcised the thing about remembering remembering is something that should characterize all of us as believers there's a remembering that we engage in as we take the communion Christ said this do this in what remembrance of me there's something about remembering remembering the work of Christ when Christ says that about the communion that we do every fourth Sunday he said do this in remembrance of me remembrance of, of what about him his sacrificial death his substitutionary death his dying in our place for our sins his giving up his life willingly remember no one took Christ's life Christ willingly gave his life he wasn't some poor little thing that they just took advantage of. Oh, you little baby, are you okay? No, Christ willingly went to the cross for our sins. And that is something that we must always what? Remember. 
Remember that blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Remember that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. So we remember the death of Christ. We remember the work on the cross. We remember the resurrection of Christ. So remembering is good. We remember that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but it was God who made us alive. We remember that it was by grace we were saved through faith, and that was not of ourselves, that we have no room to boast about our salvation. We remember those things. We remember the misery of, of being outside of Christ. It's always good to remember. We remember from what we were saved. And this drives us to thanksgiving and praise and to a deeper recognition of God's grace. And why is that? Because Paul says here that at that time you were, I'm going to break all these down. You were without Christ. Number one, you were aliens and strangers from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers according to the covenants of promise rather having no hope and without God in the world. Ouch, ouch, and ouch. He was reminding them, hey, without Christ, you, you were just hopeless. You didn't have anything. You had nothing. The Gentiles were in a desperate place, being alien strangers, having no hope and without God. It shows they were not only spiritually dead, but they also didn't have access to God that the Jews enjoyed. They were without God. John Stott quoted Lance Hendrickson. Lance Hendrickson said, Hendrickson said this. He's a great theologian of uh, the 20th century. He says, before coming to Jesus, Gentiles were Christless stateless, I mean stateless means we didn't have a king, a ruler friendless, hopeless and godless before Christ, guess what that's what we were we were Christless we were stateless, we didn't have a, a, a uh, righteous ruler we were friendless we were hopeless and we were godless And the one word that describes the Gentiles in this passage is without. That at that time you were without. That is the preposition and the objects of the preposition is everything else that follows. <coughs> we were without. Without means to be outside of something. Okay, you're being outside of something. Like if you're without water, that means you're outside of the possibility of having water like everyone who has it. So without is not just a, um, it means basically to be outside the realm of something. In, uh, in Greek, that's what it means to be uh, without. It means to be outside of something. We were outside of Christ. So let's look at all these. First of all, Paul says that Gentiles... And again, we're looking at ourselves also. We're looking at Gentiles in this context and those of us when we were without Christ. If you're still without Christ, if you're still unsaved, 
this is still your position. It hasn't changed. First says without Christ. Now the Ephesians in this culture, in this uh, ancient Roman culture, the Ephesians just as a people group, as a nation, they worshiped the goddess Diana. Diana was the um, a pagan goddess of fertility. And before coming to the gospel, they knew nothing about Christ at all. And what we must understand, Warren Worsby said this, this is so true. He says, those who claim that pagan religions are just as acceptable to God as the Christian faith will have a problem. Because pagan religions are not the same as the Christian faith. Because pagan religions are Christless. They don't have Christ. They're in a tragic state. And it must be kept in mind that every unsaved person, Jew or Gentile, is outside of Christ, which means condemnation. Any person who is outside of Christ without Christ, they're already condemned. You don't have to condemn them. You don't have to say anything condemning to them. They're already condemned. They're in a spiritual state of condemnation as we speak. Because they're what? Without Christ. This is, this is why it is important for unbelievers to come to Christ. That is why it's important for us to call unbelievers to come to Christ. Why? Because right now they're under condemnation and they feel it. Like we talked about in our responsive reading. The wicked say, oh, there's no God. They know it is. They're trying to convince themselves by convincing you. They know. They feel that condemnation. They feel that shame. They feel that guilt down in the marrows of their soul. They know that they're condemned. That's what it means to be without Christ. This is how the Ephesians were. This is how we are when we were without Christ. These are terrible words. Terrible words. But the implications of them are a woeful condition of the lost man or the lost woman or the lost child. Until a person knows truly knows that they're this lost they will never meet the grace of Christ when they think that they're not when they believe the strong delusion and that's the way a lot of people are in this world who are without Christ there's a preacher that said apart from Christ you are farther from God than you feared you're farther from God than you realized. You know, I say it all the time. You got people who are not uh, people who are not believers saying, I talk to God every day. <laughs> you probably do. But what is God telling you? He's calling you to repent. He's calling you to turn away from your sins. He is calling you to fall on the mercy of Jesus Christ and be saved. That's what God is calling to every sinner. I say it all the time because it's true. God is a calling God. He is a, he is a sending God. He is 
always calling the unbeliever to himself. But what does the unbeliever do? They harden their hearts. They harden their hearts. But Paul here is, is showing the desperate state of the Ephesians that they were without Christ. And to be without Christ means to be without the spiritual blessings that come with it, as we read and preached through in Ephesians 1. All the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ, being adopted as his sons, being part of God's family. Those are spiritual blessings that no person can give to you and no person can take away from you. That is what we have when we receive Christ. We become part of God's family. We're one of his children. They're without light. They're without the light of the truth, the light that illuminates the truth. They're without that. They're without true peace. Not the absence of conflict, not quiet children, not no problems on the job. They're without that inner peace that only Christ can give us by his spirit. One of the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace. They're without that. They will never have that inner peace that comes from, from the Holy Spirit. You can try to uh, namaste all you want to. You can try yoga all you want to and meditation and all this other nonsense. You can buy all these crystals and all this, do all this astrology and everything. You will never have the peace that God gives you by the Holy Spirit. You got all these people trying to do all this meditation. You, know, you notice how pagan spiritual people are now? They're all about good vibes. Why? Because they're trying to achieve some type of peace that only God can give. And they're doing it through all this new age mumbo jumbo nonsense. And it doesn't work because you got to keep doing stuff. Instead of resting in the work of Christ. And also being without Christ means you're without rest. You're never going to have that peace that passes all understanding if you're not in Christ you're never going to have rest you're going to always have to try to work to do stuff to achieve what you can only have in Christ and that is what the world does that is what unsaved people do they're trying to get the blessings of God by doing it the world's way it will never work it can't work because it won't work but without Christ you're without rest you're without safety you don't have an anchor you don't have someone to go to to keep you safe you're without safety in this world. Every weapon that rises up against you will prosper. Because you don't have the safety. You're not in the arms of the Lord. There's an old hymn we used to sing in our church called Safe in the Arms of Jesus. Safe from hurt and harm. Safe from all along. I'm safe in the arms of the Lord. God keeps his children safe. Jesus is that great shepherd. What does that shepherd do? That shepherd tends to his sheep. That shepherd keeps his sheep. That shepherd keeps those sheep safe. So as Jesus said in John 10, he will lose none of them. No one can do what? Pluck them out of his hand. That is the eternal safety that we as believers have. Unbelievers don't have that. They're without a prophet, priest, and king. They're without the person who speaks the word of God into their life. Who grows them by grace by means of the word. Who implants the truth of God's word into their heart. They are without that. 
They're without a priest. They're without Christ as their high priest. They're without their intercessor, their advocate, their one advocate between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. They're without the mediator, the one mediator between God and man. They're without the intercessor. They're, they're without the one who was interceding for them. They're without that priest. Unbelievers don't have anyone in heaven praying for them. They try desperately to pray for themselves on this earth and ask other Christians, other good Christians to pray for them. Only when they need something. Prayers, please. But they don't have a priest, the high priest, Jesus Christ, interceding on their behalf. Why? Because they're not in him. And they don't have a king. They don't have the ruler. Their ruler is Satan. Their ruler is not the true king, Jesus Christ. Their ruler is the prince and power of the air who is at work, as the scripture says, now in the sons of disobedience, those who are without Christ. So these are all the things that happen when someone is without Christ, as Paul said. Spurgeon said this, without Christ, if this be the description of some of you, we need not to talk to you about the fires of hell. Let this be enough to startle you that you are in such a desperate state as to be without Christ. Oh, what terrible evils lie clustering thick within these two words without Christ. Unbelievers need to see the desperate state they're in without Christ. It ain't time for playing games. It's real. It is actual. That they're in a desperate state. And then he says not only without Christ. But he says also being aliens. From the commonwealth. Of Israel. In other words. Being without citizenship. Now God called Jews. And built them into a nation. As we talked about. He gave them laws. He gave them his blessings. He gave them his curses. He gave them a land. Now, a Gentile, as we as we studied in the book of Deuteronomy, a Gentile or, or the strangers in that day, uh, back in uh, the days they were in the wilderness, they could enter the nation of Israel as a as a convert. But they were not born into that special nation. You know, if they wanted to become a, a Hebrew. They had to get circumcised and they had to observe uh, all the feasts and everything else uh, that uh, the Hebrews did. Israel was God's nation in a way that there was never a true Gentile nation. There was only the Hebrew nation. So this is what separated Gentiles from Jews. That we were aliens from the commonwealth. We were aliens from the nation of Israel. We were not part of that nation. And then he says we were without the covenants. Without the covenants. Strangers to the covenants. A promise. Now the blessings that the Gentiles had were included in the covenant with Abraham that we read in Genesis 12. But God did not make any covenants with the Gentile nations. All those Ites, the, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Moabites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Philistines, those were all Gentile pagan nations. God didn't make any covenants with them. He made a covenant only with his people. 
the Gentiles, we were aliens and we were strangers to those covenants. Those covenant blessings, you know, we was going through those blessings in, uh, in I think it's Deuteronomy 29, you're blessed in the city, you're blessed in the fields, you know, you're blessed when you go and not coming in. I talked about how prosperity preachers always talk about that. But those blessings were for Israel at that time. Those are not for us. They're not even for Israel now. Those were for Israel at that time when they were going into the promised land. We can't proclaim those blessings. These false teachers that are doing it, they're deceiving people and thinking that those promises in Deuteronomy 28 and 29 and 30 are for us. But they were for Israel. We're strangers to those promises. They were just for them. In Christ's day, many of the Pharisees would pray daily, Oh God, I give thanks that I am a Jew, not a Gentile. That was a prayer that they would pray because that's how much they looked down on Gentiles because the Jews had the promise, but they did not. Remember the prayer uh, Jesus gave this short parable about the Pharisee and the publican that went up to pray and the Pharisee basically stuck out his chest and said Lord I thank you I'm not like any of these and the publican the scripture says he he stood afar off and he beat his chest a sign of humility he didn't even lift up his head and he said Lord be merciful to me a sinner and Jesus asked his disciples the question, which one of them left justified? And then he said, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And in his day, it was the Jews who were the ones who needed to be humbled because he was showing that they are not the only ones who are going to receive that covenant blessing. But at this time, Paul said that they were strangers to the covenants of Israel. And then next he says, they were without hope. They were without hope. Hope is not wishful thinking. You know, hope that things get better. This, this hope is a assurance. It was an assurance in the promises of God. Before Christ, as Gentiles, we were without hope. When you look out through history... There was a great crowd of hopelessness in the ancient world, the ancient world of Paul's day. All the great empires, there, were all, there was always hopelessness. Do you know why? Because they were pagans. They did not worship the true God. They were hopeless. They were without hope. Let me tell you all something. If you're not worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ... Your life is hopeless. It is. Philosophies are empty. Hashtags are empty. Ideologies are meaningless. Traditions disappear. Religions are powerless to help men face life or death. Do you know there are a lot of people in this world 
who are afraid to face death. They're afraid to get old. Think about it. This is a worldview. Why? Because the hopelessness that they have in their hearts. They're afraid of getting old. Because the hopelessness, all these, all these worldly philosophies are lying to people. All these worldly ideologies are leading people to hell in a handbasket because they're sapping it up. And we're told that these things are going to make you free. These doing this is going to make you feel better about yourself. Love yourself. Wear this flag on your clothes. Mutilate your body. Kill your baby. Live off the government. These things will make you happy and we're more miserable than ever and we're more depressed than ever we're more antidepressants than ever in this nation the wealthiest and richest nation in the world has the most depressed people I asked my son the other day how many apps are in the app store I've got how many he told me he said 10 million I said no it's not that many there's 1.7 million apps in the Apple app store why because everyone is looking for hope in technology. Hope from their boredom. And guess what? They're becoming more bored because it is like going down a rabbit hole. You're never going to get to the end of it. Why? Because your hope is not in Christ. No matter how much Botox you put on your face or how many fillers you get, you're still going to get old. You got rich people who live in hyperbaric chambers. You know, it's like basically sleeping in a, 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 a vacuum sealed tube to try to keep their skin from getting wrinkled. They do. Michael Jackson did it one time in his life. Why? They're afraid of death and they're also afraid of living because death is part of living. It is actual it's going to happen there's a point until every man wants to die and after that judgment you cannot escape it 100 or 100 people will die but when you have no hope you're going to be afraid of it because you don't know what's on the other side why because you've denied the lord jesus christ you denied the reality that if you believe in christ you will have eternal life that this world is not just it i say it all the time for the unbeliever, this life is the best that it will get. Get all you can. Buy all you can. Shop all you can. Accumulate all you can. You might as well enjoy it because this is the best that it's going to get for you. That's a life of no hope because you're thinking there's nothing after this. You're going to go to the great beyond, the great empty void. That means that if it's like that, this life is meaningless if there's nothing on the other side. Nothing more eternal. Nothing that transcends life on this earth. But it is. But when you are without Christ, as the Gentiles were, you're without that hope. You're without that hope of assurance. And that is what Paul is telling these Ephesians, that without hope, 
And then lastly, he says, without God in this world. It's like it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. The heathens, the unbelievers have gods all over the place. Paul discovered this when he went to Athens in Acts uh, the 17th chapter. He noticed that, man, these people have gods everywhere. If he came to our day, he'll see that too. That we have gods everywhere. This is what Paul observed when he went to Acts. I'm going to read this. Uh, when he went to Athens, rather, Athens, Greece, Acts 17, 16 says this. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. That means idols were everywhere. Statues, temples, palaces. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Excuse me. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, What does this babbler have to say? Others said, He seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods. You have to understand this. In the first century, Christianity, Christians were called pagans. Yes. Christianity was seen as paganism because. We did not worship the religion of the state. The, religion, the state religion was paganism. They, they participated in emperor worship. Caesar was God. Caesar was Lord. There's no Lord but Caesar. That's why Christians were persecuted in the first century because they didn't worship Caesar. They didn't say Caesar is Lord. Christians said Jesus is Lord. So Christians were seen as pagans, <laughs> okay, because they did not worship Caesar and they didn't worship all these other deities they had that's why they said Paul must be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus in the resurrection and Paul said this in verse 22 of uh, Acts 17 to the uh, Areopagus or Areopagus rather or Mars Hill is the Greek translation for that then Paul stood in the midst of the uh, Areopagus and said men of Athens I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. But this is what Paul says. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples or is made with hands. So what did Paul do? He introduced them to the one true God. Why? Because these pagans were, had all these gods, little g gods, but they were still without the one true God. That is the state of all who are not in Christ. Some historians said in that day, that it was easier to find a God than a man in Athens. That's how numerous gods they had. But Paul introduced them to the one true God that they did not know. Psalm 115 is a great psalm with, which contrasts uh, the true God with the idols of the heathen. Now, the spiritual plight of the Gentiles was not caused by God. It was caused by 
them. It was the, their own willful sin. They refuse to honor God. Those who don't worship God today, guess what? It's because they don't want to worship God. Some people say they believe in God. They may say they, 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 uh, they believe he lives in heaven. But do they believe in God? Unto salvation. The Bible says even demons believe and tremble. So if you just say you believe in God, that don't make you better than a demon. <laughs> Do you believe in God and that God came and dwelt among us? Do you believe that? That Jesus is God to the glory of the Father? Do you believe that God came in the person of Christ as the God-man and dwelt among us and proclaimed Repentance in his first ever words as recorded in the Gospels. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Do you believe in that God? The God who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I always say it, when people say they believe in God, you have to ask them, who is God? What God are you talking about? Because many people have fashioned God in their image. They, they, they fashion God as, as a one who winks and nods at their sin. A God who approves of all types of aberrant and rebellious lifestyles. And lifestyle choices. All types of sinful rebellions and inclinations. They, 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 they want a God this okay with them living in habitual unrepentant sin but that is not the God of the Bible that is not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ but these people are without this God and these Gentiles were so what's the application to this point right here we always talk about what is the fall of man's greatest problem it is sin and the consequences thereof and this leads to a hopeless existence in this world and this last point I definitely want to drive home man is without hope without Christ <coughs> any person is without Christ friends is without hope without hope is either Christ or what Chaos. That's it. Amen. Next principle here. We're going to do this here in short order. Now, we established that we're without God, without hope, without the blessings, without Christ. That's the hopeless situation, but there's always hope. Paul says this in verse 13. But, there's that word again, but now, just like in verse 4, but God, but now, guess what? 
in Christ Jesus. That's the key. You who were once far off have been what? Brought near by the blood of Christ. These Gentiles who are now in Christ Jesus are no longer far off. We're no longer strangers. We're no longer aliens. We're no longer without hope. We're no longer without God. We are what? Brought near. We're near to the things of God. We're near to the blessings of God. We're near to those spiritual blessings that Paul talked about back in the first chapter of this book. And the blood of Christ accomplished this by his death. This coming near is only by the work of Christ on the cross, the blood of Christ on the cross. We are now in Christ. We're now in him. Both Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles who are saved are in Christ together. There's no longer circumcision and uncircumcision. All of us are in Christ. Listen, the greatest position you can be in in this life is to be in Christ. That's where your identity is. We talked about that's what Ephesians is about. It's about identity. Our identity as saints of God is the fact that we are in Christ. That is what matters more than anything else. It don't matter who else accepts you. It don't matter who else doesn't accept you. It don't matter who likes you or doesn't like you. Those things don't matter. Be they as they may. Are you in Christ or are you not? That is what's important. Are you in Christ? By salvation. By grace through faith. By being made spiritual alive. That is what matters. It doesn't matter how much money you make. No matter what you acquire. No matter how many likes you get on your TikTok or your Instagram or Facebook or whatever. Those things does not matter, do not matter. Are you in Christ? Because in Christ, you're what? You were far off, but now you're brought near. You're brought near. And Paul wanted to make sure that he made that uh, connection. We're brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, when he says you have been brought near, that's in the passive voice, meaning uh, that the Gentiles did not move themselves closer to God or to Israel. They were moved. It says you were brought near. That's that's the passive voice. And that is important to distinguish that it is God who brings us near. Or rather, rather Christ bringing us near to God. We can't come to God on our own people. It is God who brings us. I'm sorry, it's Christ who brings us to God. Christ brought us near. Christ is the great reconciler. They were moved by God in a sense. By the blood of Christ. Christ's death and resurrection are the agent, agents that bring the Gentiles near. It was his blood. That's why we're seeing power in the blood. There's power in the blood to bring us close, to bring unbelievers closer to God. You can't get close to God without going through Christ. You can't do it. We can't do it. So Paul is saying this, this great blessing that we as Gentiles have 
of going from being far to being brought near is only through the work of Christ. That's why we worship the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the solution to man's greatest problem? Which is sin and its consequences. Reconciliation to Christ through what? His shed blood. You know, again, reconcile means to, to bring two parties that are at odds with each other into, dis, into agreement with each other. It was Christ's atoning death that made it possible for a fallen man to come to him. If that death didn't happen, if that blood wasn't shed, guess what? We would have no hope. We would be without hope in this world. We thank the Lord for the atoning work of Christ. We thank God for Christ shedding his blood. We thank God for those of us who are believers. That we're not without hope. A Christian should never walk around feeling hopeless. Ever. Sometimes we can, as young people say, get in our feelings. <laughs> get in our feels. Feelings are given to us by God, but they must be rightly ordered. They cannot be disordered. If our feelings lead us to uh, fear that there's no hope, we can't trust them because that's not true. As long as you're in Christ, which you will always be, because Christ will keep us until the end, there's never a time as a believer where you won't be in Christ. You're going to always be in Christ because Christ keeps all those who belong to him. I will keep them in my hand and no one should pluck them out. So as long as you're in Christ, guess what, believer? You have hope in this world. You have hope in this world. It is the unbelievers who, who don't have hope. And it is our duty as believers to point them to that hope. Let us pray. Father, thank you. That as Gentiles, those of us who are in Christ, that we are not strangers to you, that we are known by you, that we are known of you, that we are your people. Let us remember, Lord, that we were at one time separated from Christ, that we were at one time uh, alienated, that we were at one time strangers, that we were at one time without hope and without you in this world. We were that way, Lord. But Lord, we thank you that we are not. And Lord, I pray for those who are unbelievers who will watch this on Facebook or who will listen to it or who are in here. Lord, that they come to you and be saved. That they call on to you, Lord, to save them. Lord, you will not turn away a soul who calls on you to save them. Who cries out, Lord, save me. Lord, I turn away from my sins and I turn to you. Save me, Lord. Lord, you will not turn them away. 
Lord, we are family members, we are friends, we are co-workers that we know who are right now without hope, who are right now without Christ, who are under the condemnation of their sins. Lord, save them. Give them their heart to call out to you. Give them the faith to believe in you and save them from their misery that sin brings and bring them to the kingdom of the light of the gospel. In Christ's name I pray, amen.